0: It's not a mistake to say that this world is headed for judgment and there will be a destruction upon the wicked and there will be a gathering of the righteous to stand before God in the resurrection event and it will be a day of great grace and glory for every child of God. But his error is that he tried to set a date now that the date is set and passed it's like crying wolf you know you so many times you say you know there's the wolf is coming, the wolf is coming, the wolf is coming and eventually nobody listens anymore This is Pastor Ian Golliher, thank you for joining us on the program today and we'll be looking at the Day of Judgment We'll be looking at the Lord's coming, Matthew chapter 25, and I trust that you will be prepared for that hour that no man knoweth, and therefore we all need to be ready. So stay tuned for that. We begin with the judgment of this world at Calvary, where the Lord Jesus bore the sufferings of his church and of his people. And I invite you to join with us today at the cross, where, of course, the Lord Jesus Suffered in Our Place. We have a beautiful hymn today, and I trust it will also minister to your heart at Calvary. The Lord Jesus said, Now is the judgment of this world. John twelve thirty one. When the Savior declared that, he spoke of the world of man, of fallen man. Of this world, Satan is the prince. NOT BECAUSE HE HAS ANY RIGHTFUL AUTHORITY OR POWER, NOR BECAUSE HE EVER ACTUALLY SUCCEEDED IN DETHRONING GOD, BUT BECAUSE MAN, WHO WAS ORIGINALLY CREATED KING OF THE EARTHLY CREATION, IN ORDER THAT WITH ALL THINGS HE MIGHT SERVE THE EARTHLY CREATION, AND IN ORDER THAT WITH ALL THINGS HE MIGHT SERVE HIS GOD. THAT MAN rebelled AGAINST THE MOST HIGH, ALLIED HIMSELF WITH THE DEVIL, AND EVER SINCE PERFORMS THE WILL OF THE DEVIL, AND SUBJECTS ALL THINGS TO THE SERVICE OF SIN AND INIQUITY. IT IS THE WORLD AS IT EXISTS ALWAYS, IN EVERY AGE OF HISTORY, AND AS WE VERY CLEARLY MAY BEHOLD IT IN OUR OWN DAY. IT IS THE WORLD WITH ITS POWER AND MIGHT, ITS KNOWLEDGE AND WISDOM, ITS COMMERCE AND INDUSTRY, ITS SCIENCE AND ART, its culture and civilization, without God and in opposition to Him, the world with its pride and self-exaltation, its trust in man and in the power and wisdom of man, its hatred of God and of one another, its covetousness and lust for power and love for the glory of man, the world with its lust of the flesh, its idolatry and adultery, its profanity and deceit, its striving after pleasures and treasures, its music and dancing, its shows and vanities, the world, too, with its strife and debate, its unrest and revolutions, its wars and destruction. And it is the world, this too must be stated, with its righteousness of man, its self-righteousness, and imaginary or self-asserted goodness, its man-made religion and piety. For always that world, with all its iniquity and corruption, puts on a cloak of righteousness and goodness. With all its hatred it speaks of love. With all its injustice and shedding of blood it speaks of its own justice." that beautiful, mighty, powerful, glamorous, boasting, self-righteous, proud, thoroughly corrupt world, that painted and adorned harlot, the Lord has in mind, when he says, Now is the judgment of this world, now shall the prince of this world be cast out. Let us note that in that hour of judgment this evil world was well represented. This must needs be so, for you understand that in that one moment of its history, the entire world, the world of all ages, from the beginning of its history to the time of its culmination in the anti-Christian beast, was judged once and forever. When, therefore, the world is called before the bar of divine justice— it must be represented by what is admittedly the very best it could possibly produce. When the world rejects and kills the Son of God, it may not be represented by a tribe of ignorant and savage cannibals, or by a band of criminals, for whose act of sacrilege and cruel murder it need not claim any responsibility. On the contrary, the very best, the very most just, the noblest and wisest, must be delegated to that court of justice where the world will be judged and condemned. The cross of Christ may not be erected in some forsaken corner of the world, but must be exhibited in the very center of the world. It must not appear at any moment of history, but must needs be realized in the fullness of time." The center of the world in that fullness of time was Jerusalem in the year 33 of our era. It was there and then that the whole world of all ages appeared in all its culture and civilization, in its wisdom and human philosophy, in its power and human justice, in all the splendor of its natural light as it stood in the pride of the rebellion against the living God, the world at its best. But there is more. Not only the world of culture and philosophy was represented in Jerusalem in the year 33 of our era, also the world of religion, the same rebellious and corrupt world, but now as it is in the church, and came into contact, had come into contact for many centuries with the light of God's special revelation in the Law and the Prophets with the word which God had spoken at sundry times and in divers ways through the Prophets and finally spoke through His Son. Was there ever a moment in the history of the world more favorable for her to appear before the bar of highest justice? And yet we know that then was the judgment of this world.
1: Yes, I spent- By God's word at last, my sin I heard, Then I tremble at the law I spend, till my guilty soul imploring tender recovery. Mercy there was great and grace was free. and there was faulty.
0: Matthew 25 and this parable of the uh, virgins, five wise and five foolish. Yesterday was supposed to be doomsday, according to Harold Camping. This aged man now, who for many, many years has been the head of Family Radio Bible. Uh, reformed in many ways, and for many years preached the word of God soundly. Unfortunately, on this issue of setting a date for the return of our Lord, and whatever formula he is using to set that date, uh, he has come to do a great deal of harm. He has stepped out to do the very thing that the Lord Jesus warned us not to do. And in this discourse, which is called the Olivetan Discourse of our Lord, regarding the events of his return, six times, six times, the Lord has reiterated that no man knows the hour or the day. Of his return. I want to give you those six times. They are important. You'll find the first one, verse 36, back in Matthew 24. Matthew 24, verse 36, But of that day an hour knoweth no man. And that includes Harold Camping. No man. I'm not sure what kind of message he's delivering today. I'm not sure if he's even prepared for a service this morning. But here is the warning of our Lord. No man knows, not even the angels, but the Father only. Again in verse 42, Watch therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord hath come. The third time, verse 44, Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not. And then in verse 50, For the Lord of that servant shall come in a day when he looketh not for him. And then in chapter 25, verse 13, which is the conclusion, it is the wrap-up of this whole parable of the ten virgins. Watch therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. Now, we have to point out very carefully here that the error of Mr. Campaign is not that the Lord's going to return. It is not that it's going to be a day of great upheaval. It's not a mistake to say that this world is headed for judgment, and there will be a destruction upon the wicked, and there will be a gathering of the righteous to stand before God in the resurrection event and it will be a day of great grace and glory for every child of God but his error is that he tried to set a date now that the date is set and passed it's like crying wolf you know you so many times you say, you know, there's the wolf is coming, the wolf is coming, the wolf is coming. And eventually nobody listens anymore. That is the subtle deception that Satan will use to his advantage today to put the world to sleep to the great reality that the Lord is coming and that the Lord will bring judgment and that we, every one of us, need to be ready. This whole parable of the wise and foolish virgins is designed to teach this very lesson, that we have no idea when the Lord is going to return, but it would be foolish not to be prepared. That's the essence and the design of the whole parable. Now, Jewish weddings were somewhat different from what we understand from the protocol of a wedding today. The groom and his entourage uh, at some point made their way to the home of the bride. And the bridesmaids, as we would call them, they acted as a receiving party to welcome the groom. And they would look for the very first signs of the appearing of the groom and his entourage. And these virgins, these young maids, would go out from the the bride's home and they would welcome the groom and his party to receive his bride. Now, the interesting thing about this parable, that the focus was on the bride's maids. There is absolutely no mention of the bride. Now in every wedding of course it's the bride's day. That's it's her day. But the message here is on the responsibilities, the duties of these bridesmaids and the task that they are Given. And again, the whole parable is designed to underscore the responsibility of these bridesmaids, these young virgins. They are to be in a state of readiness because the bridegroom will come unannounced. He will come when he is ready, and they must be prepared. Now, the number 10 was the prescribed number for legal celebrations in Judaism and they were the witnesses that would attend to this marriage now on this evening the groom was fully expected and everybody had their heads up that he's coming he's coming he's coming and so they were got themselves into a state of readiness and waited but time went by The clock kept ticking. And this receiving party of ten virgins, they were on high alert for a long while. And there was no appearing until midnight. In an hour, when we think not, that's when this groom appeared. And then, there was confusion among five foolish virgins who had no oil in their lamps. It's possible that because of the waiting and waiting all of those hours, perhaps from the supper hour to midnight, that their oil was used up and they had none in reserve. Now, it's unthinkable that those whose duty it is to wait for the first appearing of the bridegroom, that they would be without oil. And they were strutting about all this while with their lamps, with no oil in them. Now, the failure of the foolish virgins to have oil in their lamps serves the very purpose of this parable. You can see the genius of our Lord teaching this parable, and he puts every part and every aspect of it together for his own special reason. And this is tied to the need for you and each one personally to be ready for the coming of the Lord. And I ask you, are you ready? And you say, yes, I know, I know, I need to be ready. But are you really ready? And is your heart filled with this grace of the gospel in your life? Now, you may be asking, is it possible for me as a religious, church-going person to spend all this effort and not be saved, not finally be ready? Well, it was true of these virgins, five of them. Five were ready that none of us give any lose hope. It's possible to be ready for heaven. If we lose that, we lose our confidence in the gospel. Isn't it a great thing that men, women, boys, and girls born into this world can be ready? Don't lose your confidence. Don't lose the assurance of what the gospel does. But the other five are to warn us not to presume uh, that because we have this religious outlook uh, that we are ready. So how could they make that mistake? And how could they have lamps with no oil in them? I want to answer that. I want to answer what happened to the oil in the lamps of the five foolish virgins and I want us to learn how could I be in a state ill prepared for the sudden return of the Lord. Firstly, These five virgins externalized their preparations. Now, I'm going to think this through now. They externalized their preparations. Uh, Those who were well-versed in uh, Jewish customs speak about these lamps and their construction. They were glass boxes with glass sides, obviously to protect the the candle or the wick on the inside so that it may also disseminate the light. They would have within that pot inside the glass box, they would have pitch or oil with a wick uh, holding the the flame, and they would hold that forth to extend the light before them. Sometimes these lamps were attached to poles— so that they would be held high and held out before the person walking in the dark or to give light to a person approaching, which was certainly the very task of these young virgins, that they would run out to meet the groom that is appearing and shine that light upon his pathway as he would approach the bride's home. And so they acted as portable streetlights that would give light to those approaching. Now these foolish virgins had their lamps. They had the outward hardware of all that was required, but they did not have any oil. And that's to externalize their preparation. It's like those who externalize their religion. They have everything that is outward and visible, but we need to know what is in the heart. A person may have their Sunday clothing and their Sunday habit of church attendance, and they may leave their home at that very moment, every Lord's Day at a particular time, and they are known to go to the house of God. And over the years, they have learned and gleaned certain amount of Bible knowledge. And if you ask them uh, the basic facts of the truths of God, yes, they can they can state those facts. But what about the oil? What about the very essential thing that makes a man, woman, or a young person ready for the kingdom of God? Let me give you one word to speak to this oil, and that is the miracle of regeneration. Ye must be born again. You must have the Holy Spirit to give you new life, and that is the absolute essential. And here is the difference between natural religion and the miracle of salvation. It is to be born again. Now, without that miracle, all the trappings and all the pomp and all the outward show of religion, they still leave you foolish and lost. The Lord Jesus, of course, taught here about Nicodemus and how religious he was and how learned he thought he was. But he needed to be born again. Ye must be born. Born again. And our Lord Jesus taught over and over again in his ministry this matter of the heart. Hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people draweth nigh to me with their mouth and with their lips, but their hearts are afar off, and in vain they worship, teaching commandments of men. And so it is possible to get into a religious state and being a religious person, but having nothing of the new birth. Now, in what way do people do this today? Well, there are some people and they follow a wooden cross, a physical cross, And when they read in the Bible about being followers of the cross, they externalize all of that. And they say, well, I have a cross, and I carry it around, or I look at it from time to time. And they would say that they are followers of the cross. They are some people who pervert the very ordinance of baptism, whether it is infant baptism or even adult baptism. And they think that the water which is the symbol of the miracle of grace, which is the symbol of regeneration, they externalize the water, and they say that by that water touching my body, whether I was a child or as an adult, I am a baptized Christian. But where's the oil? Where is the miracle of the Spirit of God at work within the heart? Some people, they make a profession of faith by some demonstration, maybe signing a card, walking the aisle, and they say, on that day, I made a decision. Now, that decision may have led you into a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus. That was the intent, I trust that it brought you to be one who have now got your absolute confidence in the work of the cross, that Jesus died for you and rose for you, and you have received him as your Savior. But it is the coming of the Lord into your heart that saves you, not signing the card— Not walking the aisle. It is the Lord coming into your life. As the oil is required within those lamps to give light when the bridegroom cometh. And all who externalize Christianity, in whichever way they do it, they will be proven to be foolish. Because when the Lord returns, they're not saved they're not rightly related to the Lord. They're lost. Terribly lost. Foolish. How foolish. And I ask you today to search your heart and ask you, do you have this miracle of the Holy Spirit living in your heart? Are you born again? Or are you just an outward demonstrator of some form of religion? It's not the form of godliness that saves us, but the power of it. And the power is the work of the Spirit coming to live and reign within. For you and me.
2: This broadcast comes to you today from the Free Presbyterian Church in Cloverdale located at 18790 58th Avenue, Surrey, at the corner of 188th Street and 58th Avenue. On our website, you can find gospel articles, links to our sermons and our gospel booklet called A New Beginning. There you can find a link to our Sunday services that are broadcast online. For all this information, please go to our website at cloverdealfpc.ca which is six zero four five seven six one zero nine one. Alternatively, you can email me at pastor. at gmail.com. Again, for all this information, please go to our website at Cloverdale Our burden is that you will hear and understand the gospel